Well, good evening, everybody, and we welcome you into tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you here on a Wednesday night. We come your way every single Wednesday from 6 until 7 p.m. with this show. Now, last night, Tuesday nights, that's when you hear this week in hockey. That's from 6 to 8. The Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show is 6 to 7, and we come your way on Wednesday nights. Now, over the course of this pause in the season which has really been one heck of a pause i think we can officially say stoppage of the season until it starts up again we've been highlighting many different uh people within the organization whether it be former players former coaches current coaches and tonight we're thrilled to be able to talk to sean farrell one of the blues assistant coaches he is in charge of all the video work and folks we're going to give you tonight one heck of an education on what you don't see that goes on during a game that plays such a huge role in it and, it, and it starts with Sean. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors is the sponsor of the show. If you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuffed vinyl, we would love to help you increase the style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk is a family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. They've got great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out the reviews on Google. Visit one of the three area showrooms and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. So we bring in Sean Farrell, Blues assistant coach, uh, also the video coach. And there's, I'm going to tell you exactly why we kind of separated that a little bit here. But let's welcome him in first. Sean, how you doing, buddy? It's great to hear I'm, your voice. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks very much, Curbs. So, for the longest of times, the, the National Hockey League has kind of listed the head coach and then assistant coaches, and then there's always been kind of a line on those official sheets or, or, or you know, directories that say, video coach. What we have finally started to see happen, which is fantastic in the way it should have been, is the video coaches being called assistant coaches because in your case and we'll get into a lot of the video but sean you just don't do video you will go out on the ice as well and do serve a role for a lot of these guys from a skills standpoint yeah that's correct um you know that's that's technically how i got my start how i got noticed um boy eight nine years ago um by the st louis blues was doing uh some work in the summertime with current blues players at the time and other uh, local hockey players that were still trying to make their way uh, kind of through the ranks of junior hockey, college hockey, uh, minor pro and pro. And um, yeah, so it's not uncommon to uh, work individually with guys, uh, run an optional practice, get a practice started, do a lot of work with players afterwards, uh, try to keep them sharp and, uh, and uh, ready to go. All right, before we get into really how you got into the video side of things with the St. Louis Blues, give us a little bit of the background on just how hockey got started in your world. Yeah, that's good. It's uh, Well, I'm actually from St. Louis. I was born and raised here, and um, I don't know dates and uh, things like that. I, it's, uh, it's, it's hard enough for me to remember everything that's going on uh, right now. But, you know, just like a lot of other people, um, I got started in youth hockey here in St. Louis. And... Um, you know, it was just I, I played locally. I played at Webster Groves. I played at Afton. Back in the day, Clayton used to have a team. I played a little bit there. And then uh, I just played all the way through to uh, back then the, the highest level we had really at the time was our uh, junior program. And we played out of the North American Junior Hockey League in Detroit and uh, played two and a half years there. And 
And then like a lot of other people, you get to a point where, the, you know, you realize that the game is a lot tougher the higher up you go. And uh, and so I had to make a decision and I chose to go to college. And, you know, we can get into that later about how I ended up back in the game. But, uh, you know, that's it. I started like everybody else. You're five, six, seven years old and uh, you're running around on the street and playing road hockey. And then one day somebody says, hey, you want to try it for real? And, and you, you jump in and it's a sport that once it's in your bloodstream, it's really hard to get out of it. Where did the world take you before you got back into the game? Oh, um, well, I was at University of Tulsa for uh, three years, and then I came back to St. Louis, and um, I found myself in a situation where I was offered an opportunity to not only start a career in manufacturing, but um, have my education finished up at Washington University as part of that uh, program. And, um you know, it's, uh, boy, I don't, <laughs> it's a long time ago. Um, you know, it's one of those things, like I said, with the, with the hockey always being there, um, it's, it's, it's never easy when you, when you walk away from it. So it's always in the back of your mind. Um, you know, for a guy like me, which I think, um, a lot of the people I have worked with, whether it be in the hockey world or, um, or even outside the hockey world, um, there's a tenacity that you pick up through the game and a grittiness and a, and a desire to excel in, in, in a lot of what you do, if not everything that you do. And so there's a strong work work ethic there. Um, you know, but it was it was one of those things for me that, that maybe, you know, like I had this little itty-bitty, and there's a million guys like me, there's millions of guys like me that are like, boy, I wonder what would have happened if I just would have tried to go somewhere and play, you know? And so you had that little, like, burning, like that pilot light in there that was just kind of always burning about, like, what happens if I did take a chance? And some guys do, some guys don't, some guys hold on to it, and, yeah, maybe here in a second I'll tell you what happened after that. Well, you, you know, dur- during that time when you decided to go uh, to, to Wash U and, and, and continue the degree process, were, were you still playing? Were, were you still doing pickup leagues, or did you really keep kind of park it? I think uh, I, I, I kind of was like the substitute on like three or four teams. I'd be the, hey, we're short somebody, you want to come out and play? Um, I think the hard part for me, for me was just because – I was kind of a little scrappy guy and maybe it was hard for me that little guy syndrome that maybe it was hard to put the ego on the shelf and the body wouldn't do what you think it's supposed to do. And then you had to figure, well, I can't really react the way I might've reacted a year ago because I'm now in a profession where showing up with a broken nose and no teeth might not be great. (laughs) Um, You know, so you, you do change, but no, I didn't play a ton after, um, after I had come back from, well, I didn't play at all at, in, at University of Tulsa, which is funny. I took some sticks down there, and um, I remember shooting pucks at, at like a dumpster in a parking lot and getting yelled at by the resident assistant for making too much noise. <laughs> um, I tried to just keep that fire burning, but you know, at some point, you kind of you move on a bit, and so I did. I moved on, and not until. Um, you know, my son Killian was born in 1993. Did I sit there and kind of think, you know, eventually I hope he plays. And, you know, that's kind of a, a little bit of a leapfrog here. But that's how I ended up getting really back into the game was he, he came to me and he said, Dad, I want to play. And I was like, cool. So we signed him up. And then I ended up at a rink and somebody saw me and said, well, why aren't you out here helping out? And, you know, that's kind of how I got started with uh, with just coaching in general, which – you know, was just learn to play at that point. 
How did you go from there to <laughs> any? I mean, let's let's make the big jump of them all. How do you yeah. go from at that point to finding yourself in the video room with the St. Louis Blues? It's. Uh, I wonder how how much time do you have? <laughs> I got plenty. I have, I we have plenty. Season doesn't start for a while. It's funny. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I think. Like I said, the the desire was always there. You know, the love of the sports always there. And then I think when you're a kid, you you dream of things like winning a Stanley Cup, right? You you want to be on the ice. You want to be part of that team. You want to be a player, and you want to win. And and life hands you what what you can do with it. And and it's up to you as an individual to make the best of all of that. So you know, when I started getting involved with my son's hockey at the time. I think I might have been just a tad hesitant because I didn't want to be that dad that was in his face all the time. And so I did somewhat reluctantly get pulled into starting to coach like the, the learn to play programs and, you know, then the, the mite hockey and then squirt hockey. And, and, and as you're around the sport, you get asked questions to be more part of something. And, you know, and that's kind of, you know, you just start pouring more of yourself into it and, and you find out that there's a lot to be derived personally um, for a sense of accomplishment, a sense of um, achievement by helping these, you know, children, you know, live that dream that I don't want to say is over for the older people, but it is, you know, and it's like, how do you, how do you get the most out of that without being that guy that's, you know, banging on the glass, right? Like, so, um, you know, that's that's how I kind of got involved there. It just grew. And, um, you know, I got asked to do more, and I never said no. And, and I'm happy for that. And there were times that I was not so happy for that. Um, you do spend a lot of time in, in a lot of thankless positions. But, um, look, I guess I, I got to a point where some people recognized that um, – I had something to offer, and I thought I was pretty good at it. I got more involved with USA Hockey, um, basically on the Missouri level and the Central District level, uh, began evaluating players that would move on to the National Team Development Program eventually or at least have an opportunity to get out of St. Louis and go get you know, looked at at the Central District level. That Central District level would have these uh, national camps where – um, you know, basically you were on track to be looked at for back then, you know, an Olympic hopeful, um, maybe the, the national team development program had the 17s and the 18 teams starting. And, you know, it was just an honor to be around that type of a situation, but the more like, and I was still working, I still had like a normal day job. These were just volunteer jobs where I think if you were lucky, you got a hundred dollars. If you went on a five day camp and, evaluated 300 hockey players or something. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a, a little bit of a wrapped up bundle. How did I get out of that into the St. Louis blues situation is a little bit, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think I was good at what I did, but I also think some luck played into it. I think a lot of hard work played into it. And I literally, I just got asked one day if I could show up on a Saturday and a Sunday with a couple of St. Louis Blues players who were running a youth hockey camp here in St. Louis. And, and again, just sticking with the don't ever say no thing. I said, sure, what do you guys need me to do? And they're like, I don't know, just you're going to come out and you'll demo a few things. You'll help out, push pucks, um, you know, just be around to help coach the kids. 
And those three guys, it was uh, Bryce Salvador, uh, Jamal Mayers, Barrett Jackman at the time. I believe Jamie Compound was involved in the company. I think Ray Barilli might have been involved in this company. And they had the training centers that were off-ice training centers that were doing these on-ice clinics. And here I was just somebody who was asked uh, if I had a couple of free hours on a Saturday and a Sunday. I went out. I did my thing, met those guys, um, had a blast doing the camp and the, the small clinic. And um, I received a phone call from Bryce Salvador, I don't know, maybe four or five weeks later, just kind of asking, who are you? you know, where did you play? And I was embarrassed <laughs> to tell him. I was like, I just played here in St. Louis. Not, and I don't mean to take anything away right. from that. The programs have come so far now. But I'm talking about, like, when I played, it was 1987 and 88. You know, it was – and I knew I wasn't going to go anywhere else. And um, – he says, well, where, where have you coached? And I said, well, I've just coached my my sons and my kids. And, <laughs> you know, and, he, and he's like, you know, like, you're really good at what you do. And um, I don't think I've really seen anybody that isn't doing this professionally that has some of the skill sets that you have, the skating and, and some of the other ways to break things down and, and teach them and talk. And and maybe that came naturally. Maybe it was just one of those things where I I was very thorough in how I approached things. Um, but that's literally how I got a start out of youth hockey because out of that, that phone call, Bryce was basically asking me, I don't know what you do for a living. And at the time I was working at an electrical engineering, um, company doing uh, project management. And, uh, he said, you know, we'd really like to have somebody like you helping out at the time. It was former St. Louis blue Rick Zombo. And, um, Another gentleman, Tom Winkler, was working there um, who I had known from youth hockey. And um, they're like, would you be interested in helping us with the hockey academy? And, and of course, in my head, I'm going, yeah, absolutely. But I'm going, I better go home and talk to Cindy, my wife, and see, you know, <laughs> does this make sense? <laughs> <laughs> you know. um, little, course, little do you know where those things, uh, where, where those things end, up, uh, end up going. Hey, let me take a quick break. Yeah. When we get back, we're going to start with what, with, with what your wife told you when we come back. We're talking <laughs> with Sean Farrell. He's a Blues assistant coach and video coach. And I'm going to tell you something. Folks, where does old school scouting and new school analytics seem to find itself centered? I think video's got a pretty big part of that. We'll talk about that in a moment. We're coming back with the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show in just a moment, right here on 101 ESPN. Welcome back into the Boardwalk Car Before us Behind the Bench Show. Kind enough uh, to be joined this week by Sean Farrell, Blues assistant coach, has his name on the Stanley Cup. He's the video coach for the hockey team. And, uh, Sean, before we took the break, your your voyage right back into kind of getting connected on the pro game, coming from basically coaching some youth hockey teams and, and, and having played youth hockey, comes from a connection you made when you were asked by Bryce Salvador, what do you do? So, okay, so when you go home and you tell your wife, Cindy, you say, hey, you know what? Uh, I got an opportunity here. What do you think? How'd that all go? <laughs> well, I think um, surprise. it wasn't surprising. I mean, you know, I, I'm a lucky man. I have a wife that believes in, in everything that I do. And, and, and at this particular time in my life, she believed that I had a chance more so than I really did. Because at the time, there were no other paid professional coaches in St. Louis other than, I guess at the time, I'm trying to think of who, might have been Davis Payne with the Blues at the time. Um and then I think Jeff Brown was coaching one of the junior teams. And right. other than that, it was it was nobody else. And, you know, but she said, you know, 
I've seen you in the ranks, I've, which is really funny, too, because I, I like to talk, and so I don't ever get out of the rink. Um, and I end up talking to everybody about hockey. And she's like, you're just a different person. You're confident. You know what you're talking about. People seek you out for advice. And, you know, I, and I wasn't miserable in my career, but it wasn't hockey. You know, it was like right. you just you get a little bit of a jump in your step. Or you're a little bit peppier. You're happy to be there, and you're willing to put time in and, you know, and she's like, why don't you just, let's just do it. Like, give it a chance. Like, see, like when, when has anybody else ever really been approached this way by current NHL players saying, Hey, we'd like to have you work with us. And so she said, yes. And I was like, are you sure? Are you sure? I must've asked everybody I knew at the time if they thought I was dumb. And I got a lot of yes answers. You are, this is crazy. I can't believe you're thinking about it. You have a family to provide for, um, which I do. And I did. And, um, but I took a, I took a leap of faith that it would work out. And, um, those three players, um, you know, were unbelievable to me, Bryce and, um, and Jax and, and Jammer. They were, they were awesome. The support guys, you know, with Ray Barilli being involved kind of behind the scenes a little bit and Jamie Compon, um, which she played an integral part in how I even got to the video aspect of this whole thing. So, you know, these guys, they were, they really took me under their wing. Rick Zombo was awesome to work with. You know, he's been very successful, uh, with the Lindenwood hockey program and coaching and, um, you know, I had a, a really good group of people to learn from. I, I was able to bring some business aspects to what they were doing, some financial and in, you know information, um, and you know it, it, it some I guess skill work in that regard. And then I learned a lot of stuff that I kind of may have known just naturally by having played for quite a while, but I learned how to teach it. I learned how to coach it. I learned uh, how to work with everybody from five-year-olds to ten-year veterans in the NHL. And there's you know, there's a vast difference and there are an awful lot of similarities in how you approach both of those categories. Really is a fantastic story, folks, uh, when sometimes you just got to take a chance and you go from that kind of a conversation to in 2019 realizing that the Stanley Cup is going to arrive at your house wherever you wanted it and your name is etched in it, which is really something spectacular. We'll, we'll talk about the Cup here in a little bit. Sean, let's jump forward to just some of the video work of, of today. Give the fans an idea of what just some of the things you... We, we Let's not talk video replay just yet, but just once the puck drops... Where you're at and some of the things that you are doing, take a first period for an example. Sure. So um, where I'm at, located, uh, every arena has a, a coach's office, which would be connected to or right next to the either the home locker room or the visitor's locker room if you're on the road. And, and the old um, Joe Lewis used to be a bathroom. It honestly was, yeah. um, you know, like I, I think uh, back in the day, uh, Burt Godin and Joel Farnsworth were uh, sharpening skates in the bathroom right next to the urinals. <laughs> well, well, it's sufficient. <laughs> if, if you got to go, we can still keep the skates up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, and from a technology standpoint, I mean, without getting into really probably things I don't technically understand. I mean, it's really no different than you're getting a cable feed into your house and you're able to watch the game. Difference is there's no delay. It's just a live feed. Um, that's going directly into um, a number of laptops, which is kind of funny. I, I wouldn't have ever really considered myself a computer guy. Um, I'm definitely not an IT guy. Um, never had to 
be one. You know, I always had somebody around that could could help with that. But this position has come so far now that you really become like a your own self sufficient, you know, IT person. Um, I think I network probably have to build a network on the road in every place that we go of no less than nine or ten laptops. Um, at home, it's way different because you know, obviously, I don't have to move it's that stuff static, around. It's hard, right? yeah, it's hardware or hardwired right there, just plug and play. But uh, to go through like a period, um, you know, I'm I'm live recording the game. I have uh, a radio uh, where I'm in touch with, you know, currently with uh, Steve Ott on the bench and um, Mark Savard and David Alexander up in the uh, we call it you know up in the roost or uh, eye in the sky. Um, up pretty much where you guys are up around yep. the press box area. And um, I have at a worst case scenario, I'm watching the game on a 17 inch laptop screen. Best case scenario, I've got a 65 or 75 inch plasma TV in front of me, um, everything in between. And, you know, it's uh, audio and video coming through. And, you know, part of the background that, that most people don't really realize too much is that, we collectively have decided what aspects of the game as a coaching staff we really want to hone in on, um, whether that be how we enter the uh, opponent's zone or how they enter our defensive zone, how we play in the defensive zone, how we play in the offensive zone, and how we transition through the neutral zone. Those are kind of the big picture items. Um, special teams, obviously, power play, penalty kill. I literally am marking 200 to 300 keystrokes per period. Wow. Each of those keystrokes are specifically programmed to represent, let's just call it an event on the ice. Um, so once that's finished... So essentially 200 to 300 plays. Per period, yes. Per period. Yes. Um, while that's going on, we're in constant contact. I'm in constant contact with the bench and our coaches in the eye in the sky. And I might get, Steve Ott might be like, hey, I want to see that in between periods. Mark that. you know. And I have programmed something that's specifically for Steve. And, and this uh, is for the fans real quick, Sean. This is when you might see you might see Steve Ott look a little bit like a Secret Service agent where he's talking into his lapel where he has a microphone connected. Exactly, right. exactly. Um, another thing you might see if you're uh, watching at home or you're sitting in the stands um, Steve will turn around, and, or even Mike Van Ryan will turn around, and they'll look at an iPad that is now furnished by the league, and it's on the bench. We we program that so that it ties directly into the system that we use behind the scenes in the coach's office. So if Steve says, hey, I want to see that, I will have put a flag or a mark on a particular play, which just basically, for simplistic terms, it's about a 10-second clip. He can go onto that iPad right there on the bench now, look at that, and if he deems that it would be helpful to the players that were involved in that play to either correct something, fix something, enhance something, he can just tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, take a look at this real quick. And that is and one of the things right that... There. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that's changed. That, that's a change really recent in the last couple of years when they finally went to the iPad. And then you guys have the ability, and, and this is where Wi-Fi in these buildings is so critical, because you guys have the ability to do that where if Steve out wants it during a TV timeout or even when a guy's done with a shift, he could show them. And, and we've actually seen at times, we've seen Colton Pareko you know, ask to see plays and, and stuff, and, and guys can have it ready. What happens if one 
side or the other, the home team or the visiting team? What happens if their system crashes? <laughs> uh, you get really uncomfortable for a while um, if it's yours. Um, there are there are guys on site at all rinks. Um, it's funny. They're called ATMs and ATCs, and I still have no idea what those three letters stand for for either of them. One's but, got a lot uh, more money than the other. <laughs> probably. <yeah. laughs> I would venture a guess on that one, which yeah. one. But uh, right. the uh, – yeah, so you, I, I can call them, text them, radio to them, uh, just yell really loud, you know, like they're, they're around, and uh, they'll run out to the bench. And, um, you know, it's tough because that whole system works off of Wi-Fi and, and, and Wi-Fi, at least in my experience, and it's not, again, I'm not an IT guy, so you get calls and messages on your social media later. This guy doesn't always talk about right. it. But when, when you have nobody in a building, everything seems to work great. When you have 20,000 people there and the place is going crazy, it, it inevitably seems like that's when something's going to go wrong. Right. So um, things seem to get a little gummed up here and there um, from time to time. And, and these guys are all NHL employees. They may be local, but they're all brought in and vetted out by the NHL. And, and they're really good at what they do, and they help us get things back up to speed. And you know, that, Do they have to shut down say, the other yeah. team at all if, you're, if they can't get yours working? Uh, well, if we are talking about replay challenges, that's a different story. And yes, okay. they would take down their system um, so that they would not have a competitive advantage over us or we wouldn't have a competitive advantage over them. Um, with regard to the iPads, because it's not 100% mission critical, there's not a call that's going to be made based on that, and there isn't a penalty associated with a wrong answer or a goal, you know, right. it, 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 it's really, this is just a tool to try to help the coaches for one and the players two or vice versa, however you want to look at it, feel more comfortable about a situation that either could have gone a little differently, or if they really did a great job, you know, I know Otter does it a lot. He'll just hand it up and be like, dude, this was great. Look at this, you know, and you, and you boost that guy's morale. Um, maybe had a, a rougher shift, a couple of, you know, shifts earlier in the game and, and to show him that and, and let him see that replay or, or see how it broke down. That's, uh, you know, Use the it's really helpful. Absolutely. We're talking with Sean Farrell, Blues assistant coach and video coach here on tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. More to come here in just a moment. How close, really, are some of those offside calls? We'll bring you back in a moment on 101 ESPN. continue on with tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Carpet Floors Behind the Bench Show. And if you miss any part of this program or the This Week in Hockey program, which airs on Tuesday nights from 6 to 8, you can go to 101ESPN.com station website and you can subscribe to the podcast. And these are all podcasted after the show airs. So you can download them and listen to them at your convenience if you happen to miss any one of the shows. And we've, on this since the pause has happened, we have highlighted Scotty Bowman, Red Berenson, Barkley Plager, uh, Al Arbor. We've talked to Craig Baruby, Larry Plo. Um, we've talked to Steve Vaught. We've talked to Mike Van Ryan. So if you've missed a lot of these in-detail conversations and in-depth conversations, you can catch them and go back and listen to them on the podcast that is up on the station website. That's 101ESPN.com. Sean Farrell, the Blues assistant coach and video coach, kind enough to join us for the hour here, taking us inside the dungeon of the video room. What goes on during games? Sean, let's take a couple of minutes here. 
and talk and and there's going to be several different angles to go but let's just talk about initially just kind of the whole the the replay process and you and I have had some excellent conversations you know talking about some of the changes maybe we'll get into some of the changes that we were dealing with this past year a little later on in this segment but just initially for fans that don't understand walk us through a typical scenario when you think a player could end up being offside and then how that goes from there to an official coach's challenge okay sure the uh well first and foremost we have a a specific computer that is 100 percent solely dictated for our you know it's specific to the coach's challenge and the video so that it brings in those camera angles that uh, fans at home are not going to see until a decision's been made and it's been released by the NHL to be put on a, a replay. So it's kind of a, you know, they're on the blue lines. Uh, it's an overhead camera over the goalie, things along those lines. Um, if we took a an offside situation, um, you know, again, it comes into account with the, the radios that we have, you know, with Steve out on the bench, myself, and the two guys upstairs in uh, Davian in Mark Savard, it's, it's amazing. Um, everybody sees everything kind of at the same time. So there's a, there's a lot of radio chatter that happens right away. It's not always myself. I have help, um, with, uh, at home and on the road. Um, and it's, it, you know, we just have an individual, um, that sits there and, and uh, Steve helps me on the road. Steve Squire helps me on the road and Ben Dalpy helps me at home. And, uh, it's, it's funny. Okay. Basically what they're doing is they're pushing a button every time the puck crosses our defensive zone blue line. What that does is it pauses the video so I can peek at it and look just to see if everybody on the opposing team looks like they're onside. And you can you can kind of scroll frame by frame just to see how how close it is and if it's getting there, but it, it's uncanny. A couple things: one, Otter's great at it. You know, check that. The guys upstairs, right. it's a, it amazes me from how far away they really are, how how much they can see from up there. I get a check that. You know, sometimes they all say it at once. Um, <laughs> You know, but the funny thing is, we're on these two-way radios, so you know the radio protocol has to be pretty locked down, and we're good at it. We're really good at it because if everybody tries to talk at the same time, nobody can hear anything. And so, um, you know, it's we're checking so frequently that when we get to a point that it is close, it comes down to how close is it, and do we think so? Like before a goal even occurs, or before an event becomes the uh, aftermath of an offside play, we've already judged the play. Now, the ones that typically seem to get challenged, it's a, it's a fast rush, a quick transition, there's traffic at the blue line, and it happens bang, 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 and it's in the net. So you, you typically don't have a lot of time. The league allows, they say 30 seconds, it feels like five. I, I, it might be 20. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it it seems to go by quickly. I, Sean, I um, think that I think the referees know when it's that close because I think the referees, when they know it's closer, could be. It's almost as if the referees give you more time just to check. I, I think. Well, one of the things that I would agree, and I agree with that. One of the things that I would I, I give all of the officials and the linesmen uh, credit for, when this first came out a few years back, it was like, oh my gosh, everything's offside. You know, and and it and then as they got used to it, as we got used to it, 
we're talking about a margin of error. Like with his human eye on the ice, meaning the linesman, and how fast the game is played and how accurate they really are. Because it's usually a one-off, right? Like otherwise right. we would be doing this two and three times a game. It's one, maybe two every ten games. I don't know. Like where you're like, wow, that's the really obvious. But it's so close. And a lot of times I have to wave everybody off and say, no, guys, it's good. Like it doesn't look like it, but it's good. Like meaning I have the ability to zoom in and look at that fraction of an inch of a puck being across the blue line before the foot is or before the skate is or whether the back leg is in the air, down, dragging. You know, some of it becomes, I don't want to say judgmental, but like a judgment call. You have to get comfortable. You have to understand the the, the levity of the, uh, a missed call in the game at that point. But I think people would be surprised. Like, I, and I love it because I I love the fact that the fans are probably some of the most passionate fans of all professional sports out there, and they're all really good at calling penalties, and they're all really good at you know calling offside. You know, you hear them all the time. They're yelling, "Oh, it's off!" You know, and sometimes it just isn't. It's just that it looks that way because the game's so fast. We're talking with Sean Farrell, Blues assistant coach and video coach, in this segment, kind of focusing on video replay and and how that has played a role. Rather than tweak some of the replay rules, what the league has done is they looked and they said, okay, we're having too many offside calls that are being used as a way for basically another timeout or a, or a delay, a longer timeout, I should say. Same kind of thing with, with the with the goalie interference challenges. And so this past season, the the one that is paused, the league came out. And now if you, if you are a coach and you challenge, and you can challenge as many as you want, but now, no matter whether it's a goalie interference challenge or if it's a offside challenge, whatever the challenge may be, it's now a two-minute minor. How, in your opinion, has that changed or added stress to the decision-making process? Well, I think if you know, it's the easy answer is to say, yeah, it's added a lot of stress. Um, I think that when you when you trust in the process that you've set forward with your, with the other coaches, the guys that are on the radios and your lines of communication are really locked in and, and you're just kind of dialed into the system. It's, it's stressful at first, but then you, you kind of grow to understand that this is just part of the game and, and you're going to get through it and, and you've got help and nobody hangs you out to dry and you're going to be wrong sometimes. And um, sometimes you're going to be right. And everybody else thought you were wrong and, and vice versa. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'd be lying through my teeth if I didn't say that the first few games that we played with these new rules, they were one, you know, yeah, yeah, they were stressful. Um, but like I said, it's um, the referee, and I'm not just saying this. The referees are good. They're they're darn good at, at the the linesman calls. Um, the goalie interference can be tricky. I mean, that's no doubt that there are a lot of uh, areas there that that you can get hung up on, but. Uh, you know, we, we think that we've got a pretty good system. We, we kick these things around as fast as we can. We try to queue up as much information to as many sets of eyes. You know, you've seen the guys huddled around the, the floor monitors on the benches, right. um, all trying to see. And I have four or five different angles where I just keep clicking through them and we try to keep a, a, a calm, cool, and collected way of, of analyzing it. And, and you do the best you can with the, the time that you have.
It, it really is. A, it's become an important part of the game. I like the fact, Sean, that they added the other two rules from a replay standpoint where they can double-check a double minor now for high sticking and also a five-minute major from a contact to the head standpoint is automatically reviewed. The one thing that I wasn't a fan of about it is that if it's if it's a double minor for high sticking and they review it, they're allowed to completely take it off the board. If it's a if it is a major called and they review it and they say, okay, shoot, you know what? There wasn't a head shot there, right? There was no contact to the head, or the head was not the initial point of contact. They still actually have to put the guy in the penalty box. Now I'm not going to put words in your mouth because I did. I asked that question. <laughs> I asked that question directly to, you know, to uh, to Stephen Walcom at our broadcast meetings last summer. I'm like, well, wait a minute. What if they look at it and they realize, yeah, you know what? There really wasn't a penalty. He says, now nah. he goes, ninety five percent of the ones we looked at, they could have called something else. And I went, yeah, but they didn't. So now you're watching that replay to call something. Either way. Those are changes, though, that have helped to make sure that the overall part of video replay is to get it right. But at the same time, it is one of those things where, from a coach's standpoint, staying on top of what they're looking at really challenges you guys almost every single shift of every single game. It does, truly. And, you know, the, you know there are rules that, that we would all probably want written differently or interpreted differently I, you know if you ask everybody to be honest about it but the truth of the matter when it's all said and done is that these are the rules and and you and you learn the best way you can to play within those rules um when they do give you an opportunity to look at something like a you know a, a hand pass review or puck out of play review um whether the puck was played with a high stick um you know that gives us another opportunity to, and I know this is the goal of the league, um, is to get the right call down on the ice. Um, does it make it more difficult at times? Absolutely. Um, you know there aren't always perfect angles. Uh, there aren't always, you know, a lot of the we, we talked about the challenges just for the the on and offside on the blue line. Uh, a lot of times. I can't even find the puck because there are three sets of legs to look through right. and a referee that just by chance might be standing in front of one of the cameras that I have to use. So, so, you know, we all understand that and there are, you know, some difficulties there, but, you know, again, if you go back and, and you think of some of the things that you saw, you know, during the playoffs last year, uh, league wide, you know, they're, they're doing what they can to try to get a fair and equitable playing field, if you want to call it that. We're talking with Sean Farrell. One more segment to go. You're listening to the Behind the Bench Show, brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, here on the home of your St. Louis Blues, 101 ESPN. We'll be right back here on 101. Well, one final time, we bring you back into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. My thanks to Sean Farrell for joining us for the hour here tonight. Kind of a, a great story just of how he got back into uh, hockey after playing youth hockey and then becoming an engineer and and then eventually getting pulled back in because he was coaching his son and then it becomes just an amazing success story after that. We're joined by Sean for this entire hour. We want to remind everybody we're brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. If you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuffed vinyl, we'd 
love to help you increase the style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk, it's locally family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out the reviews on Google. Visit one of our three area showrooms and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Sean, take me back to the day that you were offered the job to become the video coach for the St. Louis Blues and what that phone call was like. (laughs) Well, it's funny. uh, You mentioned I'm actually sitting in my office at my house that I was sitting in when I received a phone call um, that I, I... I just opted not to answer it because I didn't recognize, didn't recognize the <laughs> phone number. Um, it was a Columbus, Ohio area code. And I'm thinking, I don't know anybody from Columbus or Ohio for that matter. And I let it go to voicemail and I just kept doing my work and, um, you know, and, and really didn't think about it. Voicemail came in. I listened to the voicemail and I heard, Sean, this is Ken Hitchcock with the St. Louis Blues. And, you know, he proceeded to go on and on about, you know, what, what he was looking for. And um, he said, you know, we have an opening for a video coach. And I know you're a skills guy. Um, this may not be that right now but it would be an opportunity to uh you know get your foot in the door be a part of a coaching staff and um and see where it goes and then give us a call back if you're interested (laughs) and uh, you know i don't know if i just need to digest these types of things or what but you know i i waited like an hour i'm like well what do i do now like i just got finished doing this i got this job going i got that i'm doing skills work with guys and like my wife i end up calling cindy again and and she's like what are you are you an idiot like why are you why are you even thinking this way like of course you want to you want the job call ken you know get the job i'm like okay so um i did I, i called him back we talked for a little bit um I remember at the time the draft was right around the corner and he's like, you know, I might need you to go to the draft. I'm like, geez, I don't know. Did I just get the job? Do I not have the job? Do I interview with you? And then he called me back and he's like, you're going to meet with uh, Doug Armstrong and myself uh, when we get back from the draft. So I remember doing that and, uh, and being pretty nervous. Um, you know, it was summertime and I remember I showed up in a suit because that's what you do when you go on an interview. <laughs> and, um, I remember, I think Hitch was, and he, you know. You, had, you, wait, you had a suit, right? You did have yeah, a suit? Did. Okay, good. I did. Good. But there's a really funny story about all that, too, and I'll, I'll give you the, the very short version of that. I I received a lot of, it's not verbal abuse, it was good jabs from all of the guys. Um, they, my nickname my first couple years with the team was Stanley Ipkiss from the movie <laughs> The Mask because my ties and my suits were probably – 10 years out of date from what the fashion was. And, um, and the, it was no fault of my own. I just hadn't needed a suit and, you know, I was wearing track suits every day to go to work and workout clothes. And here I come in looking like, uh, you know, Jim Carrey with a big giant wide, <laughs> ugly tie that you might find in your great grandfather's closet. But, uh, I loved it. then. I think Steiner's the one that started that, but, uh, yep, that would make sense. The, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but no, so I, I I went on my interview and uh, I talked to both uh, Doug and Hitch at the time, and you know they were they were awesome. They were you know they were, they asked me a lot of really good questions about why I would want to do this, and you know and it's uh, 
you know, it's a it's a tough job. And and I think they did a very good job of pointing out that there would be a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of hours behind computers and you know, and and they've given me every opportunity at that time to just prove that I belonged in the NHL and uh you know, and so it was great. It was a great start, and and uh, you know, it's one of those things where you you're like, okay, so wait a second. Like I was coaching these guys, I was coaching youth hockey, I was doing this, that, and the other. I had hopped out on the ice here and there to do some skills work at the end of Blues practices in the past. Um, then all of a sudden, I was like, well, wait a second. Like I'm actually going to be a coach in the NHL. You know, and it and it took a little while for that to settle in. I had a couple months before uh, training camp to get ready and. Uh, you know, I guess I don't know. They say the rest is history, but it's uh, hopefully there's a lot more to come. You know, Hitch Hitch actually has a bit of a history of just of calling guys like that and doing. He did it with Leon Frederick at one point in time too when he was when he was down in Dallas. All right, so last thing for you, Sean. So you you put all that in perspective, everything we talked about, the strategies, the hours, what you deal with, how you do your job, you know, marking 200 to 300 clips a period, getting all that straight, making sure things are ready the next morning for the guys that come in, pre-scouting the games, you know, for the upcoming games and what all that together. How you how you ended up back in the game of hockey again? Put it all in one basket, and then it culminates with your name on the Stanley Cup after last season. Just how satisfying is that moment? I, you know, next to your children being born, I don't know, and, and getting married, I don't know that there are other experiences yet. I, hey, I, by know. the way, by, I'm going to cut you out real quick on that one. Okay, so you did the right thing by saying getting married in there. I got asked <laughs> yeah. that question with an earshot of my wife and three kids, and I mentioned the kids being born, and my daughter looked at me and goes, hey, what about Mary and Mom? I'm like, oops. <laughs> I forgot to throw that in there. So so good for you. Good for you. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's always a work in progress. No, to, to be able to have your day with the Stanley Cup, your time with the Cup, and know that your name is on it, and and, and be a part of that, uh, uh, the culmination of of so many of so many great things. Uh, w- what emotion just still comes out when you think of all that? Oh, you'd think by now with it being an you know like been a year and everything that that it would be more believable but it's still really hard to comprehend you know it's uh it's as real as you can get and it's also kind of surreal you know i'm like i said i'm sitting in that office in my house and i'm looking at picture of the stanley cup from the stage in front of the rally and you know it's emotional and i think just sitting around watching that replay game the other night on a friday night like i I'm pretty sure I had tears welling up just watching things I didn't notice the first time, um, especially, you know, like the way the guys were afterward. And um, But getting to spend as much time as you can in the community and with, the, with your family and your friends and everybody that's kind of helped you along the way, even though there are a lot of people that didn't know they helped you along the way, um, the magnitude of, of that realization is, like I said, it's it's unbelievable, but it's, I don't know, I just don't think there's ever anything that you can do that would – you know, bring those types of emotions to the forefront as fast and um, and then last for as long as it has so far. Very few things are as good as knowing even for a moment that you are at the top of your profession, and that's what everybody with the Blues got to experience in 2019 and hopefully we'll get to experience again coming up very soon. Sean, thanks for giving us some time this week, man. Appreciate it. Uh, I love working with you, and it's it's great to talk with you, hear that voice again. I know we haven't seen each other since this pause happened, so looking forward to getting back at the ring too and, uh, and, and seeing you real soon. 
Absolutely, Curbs, and thank you very much for having me. That is Sean Farrell, Blue Stanley Cup champion, assistant coach, and video coach. And, folks, I promise you that between the video coaches and the trainers, the equipment guys, they they put in hours that would just blow your mind. We're talking sometimes 18, 20, 20 plus hours a day uh, and on a regular basis throughout the season. Uh, the work they do behind the scenes is phenomenal. And that's the whole point of why we call the show Behind the Bench. Thanks to you for tuning in this week. We'll be back with you next week on Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. right here on your voice for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN.